Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from India, Argentina, Israel, the United States, and a see you in hell that's the celebration of a dead right-wing figure, also from the United States. We're going to start out with India. This week included a day that has been heralded in the Indian press and in Indian social media accounts as, quote, a black day for Indian democracy. What happened was that a member of the Italian Congress, a man named Tahul Gandhi, has been disqualified from the Lok Sabha, which is the Indian Congress. This is not to be confused with the Indian National Congress, which is his party. The party that he's part of is an extremely long and connected one. It's lasted since the origins of Indian independence and since before that, and has been led by the political family that he is the sort of current leader of, the Gandhi Nehru family. This family has included three prime ministers of India, all of whom are his direct ancestors, and is essentially a symbol of Indian national independence. Up until very recently, it has been pretty securely in control of Indian national politics that has changed with the rise of the current ruling party in India, the BJP. Now, Gandhi has been barred from this national body in India following the criminal conviction that he received after a supposed joke about the surname Modi. Now, this is the surname of the current prime minister and leader of the nationalist BJP, Narendra Modi. Tahul Gandhi was suspended and convicted for this for commenting back in 2019, quote, why do all these thieves have the surname Modi? He was both making a comment about people running scams out of India, supposedly, and also a reference to the Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi, who he and his party believe to be, you know, corrupt and a right-wing nationalist figure. However, Modi's party, the BJP, and also now the Indian government itself, is claiming that this is discrimination based on a name, region, or group. As the surname Modi originates with a nomadic group that eventually settled in the Indian province of Gujarat and are therefore, because of their formerly nomadic status, classified along with other groups in India as OBCs, which technically means other backward classes. In Indian law, these groups are historically discriminated against and are therefore currently in the independent India legally protected against defamation and political action, meaning that you can't make those kinds of claims about them. You can't say that they're all thieves or something like that. And this is the origin of Gandhi's legal troubles right now. It will remain to be seen whether he will be able to return to the Indian legislature in 2024, which is the next electoral cycle in India. He is currently barred from it, and he might actually go to jail, although he has 30 days from his conviction to make an appeal. Moving on to Argentina, there have been violent threats by militants connected to Javier Milei, who is a former libertarian turned Trump wannabe in Argentina. These militants have made threats against the leftist parties in Argentina by pointing weapons in the windows of the party offices, making threats against party offices in the provincial capital of La Plata. And they have also made threats against the life of President Alberto Fernandez, who is a member of the Peronist ruling coalition in Argentina. It remains to be seen what kind of legal consequences these thugs will face. Currently, they are anonymous, and their connection to Millet, who is trying to be a sort of 
Trump type figure, you know, like a, a divisive leader who tells it like it is and gets people to vote for him because of his divisiveness. It remains to be seen whether their connection to him will prove good or bad for Malay. Moving on to Israel, there is an enormous news story happening in Israel right now. There is huge unrest in the country over the proposed judicial changes that Benjamin Netanyahu's party and his coalition proposed in Israel. I've talked about these before. These changes would essentially end judicial independence in Israel, which is extremely important to Israeli democracy in the same way that it is for most other liberal democratic systems. Netanyahu has formally backed down from these proposed legislative changes. And, you know, he's saying that he's going to go back to the drawing board about them in the wake of this massive unrest, which verges on the, you know, on being a general strike, like everybody not working and just being out in the street protesting. There's even been a capital strike with people in the Israeli stock market, essentially saying that they're not going to be functioning because of the unrest here. This is a huge story that could end the stability of the Netanyahu coalition and might bring Israeli democracy and politics back to the drawing board here, possibly causing a new election if this unrest lasts. Moving on to the United States, the Department of Homeland Security has admitted that it forged information about Antifa, that is, you know, people who are opposed to fascism, in order to give fodder for Trump's re-election campaign. They've admitted that they attempted to construct a, quote, terrorist group for Trump to lay at the feet of Democrats and to say it was, you know, causing all sorts of unrest in the country and that this was all the fault of blue state Democrats and blue state governors and blah, 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 blah. The idea was that this could be used as a reason for rounding up anti-fascist and anti-right-wing protesters during the 2020 campaign cycle, which, if you recall, is the one in which the president engaged with right-wing organizations in order to attempt a coup against the United States. So this is the DHS saying that, like, at least part of them were cooperating with this effort. You know, they were part of this propaganda wing of the president's system, right? They were part of the president's propaganda to try to get people to distrust people who opposed the right wing. Moving on further in the United States, more legal stuff. Prosecutors in some big Proud Boys cases have revealed that they got a lot of their information from an informant. Now, many leaders of the Proud Boys are on trial right now for crimes committed in and around January 6th and also before it. The revelation that a lot of the information that the prosecutors have has come from an informant is not a particular surprise to a lot of the people in the Proud Boys. They have claimed that for an extremely long time, saying that their movement has been infiltrated by the feds in some capacity. This is particularly interesting because it's entirely possible that the leader of the Proud Boys, Enrique Tario, is himself this informant. This has been alluded to and implied by many other leaders of the Proud Boys for years. And if it turns out that Tario is in fact one of these informants, then it could uh, tell us a whole lot about the actual internal structure of this organization, which I'll remind you, remains one of the biggest and most dangerous fascist organizations in the United States today. The state of Texas is proposing to make a civilian militia to engage in quote-unquote border enforcement. This is a proposed law in the state legislature of Texas, which would essentially end the federal government's monopoly over the enforcement of border regulations in the United States. It would create a state militia in the state of Texas, 
which will cooperate with civilian militias in order to police the border of the United States with Mexico. Essentially, this is a state legislature, a Texas state legislature, proposing to create a white militia to violently attack people attempting to enter the United States. The bill would also criminalize immigration to Texas if it has been done, you know, without all the proper documentation made. This would make it a crime to enter Texas illicitly or without documents. It would make it a crime the first time you would go to jail for one year, the second time you go to jail for two years, and if you had a pre-existing felony, you would go to jail for life. It remains to be seen whether or not Texas is going to be able to get away with this, both on a state level and also federally. Finally, in world-slash-US news, it has become apparent that Twitter, the media company that runs Twitter.com, that was recently bought by right-wing shot jock billionaire Elon Musk, has been illicitly, or at least secretly, boosting certain tweeters. Uh, these include people on what they consider to be the far left, like Joe Biden and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, legally elected members of the United States government, and Ben Shapiro, an extreme right-wing ideologue, and also a Twitter user known as CatTurd2, who is a actual, actual shock jock, just like a right-wing crank who is on the internet and, you know, is just the sort of like pseudo-anonymous person who says right-wing crap. So here we have perfect evidence that Mr. Musk, a supposed free speech absolutist, is just, you know, crank the numbers, just like just like trying to create controversy and trying to get clicks, just like any other media conglomerate entrepreneur. Finally, moving on to See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, we're talking about G. Gordon Liddy, a famed Nixon White House black ops guy who is the leader of the White House Plumbers. G. Gordon Liddy was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1930. He joined the United States Army after he attended college at Fordham University, and he served in Korea as a member of the artillery. He returned to Fordham University after the military for law school, and then entered the FBI, serving under J. Edgar Hoover. In the FBI, Liddy had an extremely good career trajectory. He was one of the earliest, you know, young leaders in the FBI, and led a bunch of, like, sort of daring investigations and raids and stuff that earned him a reputation for being reckless but effective. After he left the bureau, he became a lawyer, and then he attempted to get into politics by running for New York's district attorney and then running for Congress. Both of these races were very close, but he did fail in them. He then continued his political work not as a political candidate himself, but as an operative, using his experience as a member of the FBI and also his judicial degree to work on the 1968 Nixon campaign. He got a job out of it and working in the Nixon White House in the Treasury Department, but not like the money part of the Treasury Department, like the drugs and firearms enforcement part of the Treasury Department. It was from there that he got involved in the thing that makes him famous, the Committee to Re-elect the President. This organization, a part of the White House under Richard Nixon, was an organization that combined legal and clandestine and propagandistic measures in order to ensure that Nixon would remain the president in the 1972 presidential electoral campaign. Liddy specifically was the leader of the clandestine part 
of the Committee to Re-elect the President, the White House Plumbers. So named after a joke, you know, people would be asked what they had been doing at the White House and they would joke to people who weren't supposed to know, oh yeah, you know, the President wanted to seal up some leaks. You know, we're just plumbers. The plumbers were the covert ops part of the committee, and they did a bunch of crazy shit. I mean, like 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 crazy nonsense stuff, you know, breaking into dissidents, psychiatrists' offices, wiretapping people, just like crazy spy crap. And this is how Liddy really entered the history books, because he was the leader of the men who broke into the DNC headquarters, that is the Democratic National Committee headquarters, at the Watergate Hotel. Now, Liddy himself did not enter Watergate, and he did not actually do anything there, but he was the leader of the plan, and the plan was apparently to wiretap the DNC, to photograph documents, to get information that would help Nixon win in the 1972 presidential race. If you know your history, you know that Nixon did not need any particular help in order to win in 1972. He defeated his opponent, George McGovern, in a massive landslide that was up until then fairly unprecedented and would only be bested by Reagan's defeat of his opponent in 1984. However, this did not stop Nixon, ever paranoid, from trying to get more coverage, more, more leverage against his opponent, and that was what the Watergate break-in was for. Eventually, the Watergate break-in would lead to the end of the Nixon presidency and resulted in a lengthy prison sentence for Liddy himself. Liddy was sentenced to 20 years in 1973. He refused to testify against Nixon and his other conspirators, and thus was given the big sentence. You know, he got the, the, the short end of the stick. This was then commuted to eight years by President Carter, and then Liddy got out on parole in 1977, having served only four years of his 20-year term. After he got out, Liddy went back into politics, but this time not as a special operatives, instead as a radio talk show host. He became one of the leading lights of the conservative talk radio circuit. He did a bunch of public appearances, he wrote books about his experiences in the White House and the FBI, and just became like a fixture in right-wing media as a talking head and as a reference point. Again, this is a man who admittedly planned a burglary in order to discredit his political opponents. Like, the, this man did crimes in order to win elections, and he became this conservative talk host. Liddy also appeared in a number of fiction pieces, like, like he was actually an actor in, like, crime dramas and army dramas, Notably, he appeared in the film Rules of Engagement and also the television show MacGyver. He retreated from public life in the early 2010s and died this week in history, actually just very recently, March 30th, 2021, of complications from Parkinson's disease. So, G. Gordon Liddy, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Jonathan, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out on all one word. Patreon is where you can give me some help in order to 
keep making making this podcast make sense you know help me pay for the hosting help me pay for recording materials help compensate me for the you know research that i do in producing these episodes you can also reach me on gmail at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com i'm also on twitter at hist of the right that's h-i-s-t of the right and fascism 15 all right thanks very much and i will talk to you next week <laughs>